0: my name is Paul and I'm a member with Restore Church. If you're new we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe that the church is not an event but a family that you belong to so we'd love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way please visit our website RestoredTemecula.Church and click on contact. We also have a mobile app with resources including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events and other ways to connect. You can download our app on Apple or Android app
1: stores. With all that
0: said, we hope you enjoy the message.
1: Uh, If you're new, I want to welcome you to our Sunday gathering. And I want to say, Ryan Hill, that is an incredible hat. That has nothing to do with anything. I'm just a big hat guy. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray before we dive in. Uh, Father, I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for this time that we get together. Here is your people. I don't want to take it for granted that we get to be here. As we just prayed for Harbor City, Uh, I was was reminded of the fact that for an entire year, we didn't have somewhere to meet on Sundays. We know what it's like. We know what it's like to to not have this and the void that, that exists when this isn't here. This isn't an add-on to life. The, The gathering of God's people corporately is essential for life and flourishing. To practice our priesthood, to hear a good word from you, to be renewed, to be reminded, to engage in repentance. Thank you. Thank you. We bless you and we honor you. And we welcome you into this space. Come, Holy Spirit. We need you. It's your name we pray, amen. Start my timer here. All right, good morning. It's good to see your faces. I see some new faces. Welcome to our uh, Sunday gathering. My name is Herrick. I'm on eldership here. for am from Temecula. I want to welcome you. Uh, if you've been with us for, for a while, you'll know this. But if you're new, we have been in a series called The King and His Kingdom. I don't remember when we started it, but it was a while ago. We're not gonna finish it for a while. But we've been kind of slowly working through the Gospel of Matthew, this beautiful biography of the life of Jesus Christ. And so today, we're not gonna be doing that. Let me press start on that timer. Uh, I, I felt like I wanted to do something a little bit different today. And so I want to uh, spend some time today. We're gonna to pause on Matthew. But we're going to hear some really, I think, powerful words uh, from one of Jesus's closest disciples, one of his closest friends. Before we do, as I was thinking about this message, I was reminded of something that happened to me uh, when I was, I think I was like 19 or 20 years old. And I've been thinking about it a lot this week, so I'm going to share it with you. Uh, When I was, I guess this would have been like freshman year of college. So I was young and I lived in Orange County. I went to school in San Diego, USD, a really small school. Any Toreros in the house? Not a one. It's a very small school. Uh, But I'd come home during the summers and I would, or during the the Christmas break, and I would spend time in Laguna Niguel in Orange County. Anybody from Laguna Niguel in the house? We got one. We got one woo. Uh, So Laguna Niguel, beautiful place, really close to Laguna Beach. And my best friend, basically in middle school, his name was Mike, uh, and he loved, he was outdoorsy. And these are typewriter hands. But somehow, like, this, this relationship worked. And he loved going to the Laguna Beach kind of cove area. And he, what he would do is he would uh, jump into the ocean and go looking for lobster. So he'd go lobster diving. Anybody ever done that before? Not a one. See, I'm just getting narrower and narrower with this. Well, I, did, I thought it was crazy, too. I thought he was positively nuts. I was like, you're going in to the water in the middle of the winter to look for lobster? Like, this is what you do with your free time? And then he would lament, like, oh, nobody goes with me. I do this by myself. This is incredible. And and he just kept going on and on. I was like, fine, I'll go with you once. But I'm not going in the water. I'm going to watch from above. And so he took me out one night. It it, it It was amazing, actually. Uh, We were in Laguna Beach. I was watching from the rock as he jumped in, and he went in, and he literally grabbed a lobster out. Which, if you've ever seen one of them, they they go like this. I was like, "What am I supposed to do with that?" He gave me a glove so I could grab it, and so I had this lobster. I was like, "This is weird, but here we are." And he just kept at it. He's like, "You got to jump in with me. You got to go with me. You got to go. You got to go." I was like, these winter breaks were long. It's like six weeks long. So I was like, I can only hear that so many times before. it was like, okay, I'm going in with you. Fine. I'm going in. And so it's January, which if you don't know, the Pacific Ocean is cold in January. Uh, So I wasn't necessarily prepared to jump in. I didn't have a wetsuit. I didn't have really anything uh, except for my friend's just insistence that I jump in with him. So I finally did. And so... One day, it was in the middle of the day, so it, was, it wasn't dark, it was bright, which I, I give him credit for that. He didn't make me do this in the middle of the night like he did. Uh, I jumped in. It was like a, I don't know how far it was. It felt farther than it looked, actually, when you like, kind of jump off like a little cliff. And then I jumped in and instantly I was filled with regret because it was an ice bath. Now that ice baths are becoming a thing, people do this for fun. I recently watched uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin do this, if you don't, you don't have to look it up. But there's famous people that are jumping into ice buckets. And so this was like jumping into an ice bucket that was infinite because it's the ocean. <laughs> and so it was like instant regret, okay? And my buddy's over there. He's swimming. He's got his uh, snorkel or whatever and his fins. And I've got my fins. and I'm like, this, this is not good. This is, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I started to feel from that vantage point, just how big those waves were. They don't look that big when you're sitting from above and looking down, but all of a sudden I'm down there and I'm like, this was a huge mistake. I should not be in here right now. And here's the thing though, when I go into the ocean, I usually walk on sand and like wade in. And so if I am like, this isn't cool, I can just kind of walk out. You can't do that when you jump off a cliff in Laguna Beach. I didn't realize that. And so what ended up being like a kind of like, a, I'm annoyed, I'm going to do this, fine, ends up becoming pretty quickly a situation where I'm like, I need to find a way out of here. If I don't find a way out of here, I'm not a good swimmer. I'm not going to make it. And so it went from like silly to serious like that, very, very quickly. And I'll never forget like that transition when it happened of like, okay, fine, like I'll go in there, I'll swim with my buddy Mike to, I need to find a way out of here. Or else I'm not going home. And so I'm in there. I'm like, it, it kind of becomes like a fight just to stay up to the surface. If you've ever been in a situation like that, I'm like freezing. So I'm kind of like, I'm starting to, it feels like my body's starting to shut down and I'm just starting to sink. And I'm looking around and I think everybody, it was my buddy Mike and one other friend, they're kind of like dispersed. There's nobody like close to me. And I think they're kind of surprised by the conditions a little bit. But I'm by far the weakest swimmer. And so I start looking around and I'm like, oh God, oh God, oh God. I don't think I'm going to make it out of here. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, but it is. There's nothing that will ever prepare you for it. And so I just start looking around what can I do? Where can I go? There's nowhere to get out. Finally, as I'm starting to kind of like come to the realization, like, I'm not going to leave here, I'm going to be like that, I'm going to be the story on the six o'clock news. Uh, Back in the day,
0: Oh, check that out, I
1: see Mark, yep, he just gave me the thumbs up, can you guys hear me? Okay, great. This feels like it's right up by my nose. Okay. How's that, Tom? Yeah, you're good, Okay. Cool. I'm gonna fix
0: you. Keep talking, I'm gonna
1: fix you. Great timing.
0: Satan's real. Yeah.
1: That's never happened. Oh, your hands are cold. Try to work. Thanks. And so I'm there. I'm I'm like starting to sink. And I look up and I see what ends up being the sweetest sight I've ever seen in my life, barnacles, barnacles, on the side of this ginormous cliff. It wasn't ginormous, but it was, it was bigger than I realized. And so I'm like, I have, to, I have to make my way over there, trying to conserve my energy as much as I can, because now I have to climb. And so, I grab on. Have you you ever touched a barnacle before? One thing they're not is dull; (laughs) they are sharp. And so I grab my first set of barnacles, and it's like, it just like digs into your hand. Then I grab the next one, just digs, and it's like blood. And I start very slowly climbing. Like this, and all the barnacles are like cutting into my flesh. And within, I don't know how long, I don't know where I found the energy because I was so tired. If you've ever been in that spot, you're just like trying to stay up. Before I know it, I'm sitting back at the top where I had watched my buddy swim. I'm covered in blood. I'm exhausted, but I'm saved. I'm saved. And I'm just like, what just happened to me? <laughs> Last time I went into the Pacific Ocean and Laguna Beach off a cliff. <laughs> but I've been thinking about this story this week. One because like it's I'm I'm glad to be alive. If you've ever been through like a near kind of death experience, like you're so glad to be alive. It's like a new start to life. Uh, I've listened to people tell their story of surviving plane crashes. I don't know if you know this, but people survive plane crashes. So those safety instructions when, you, when you're at the, on the plane, you may want to pay attention to them because you never know when they're going to come in handy. But what, what they talk about is this sense of like, I can't believe I'm alive. I can't believe I made it out. I'm saved. So here's the thing. When I'm sitting on that cliff overlooking the, the Pacific Ocean, which is wild, it's chaotic, I just made it, I'm bleeding, I'm bloody, I'm, I'm cut up, I'm exposed. Now everybody knows I'm a bad swimmer, which is cool. I'm saved, but the question that becomes like, now what? Now what? I'm saved, now what? And I have a feeling, if you have been following Jesus for any period of time, you may have had a moment like that. Not necessarily that kind of dramatic, I'm about to die, although for some of us, when we come to believe in Jesus, we're we're literally about, like, we could be not that far away from death. Some of us that are racked up in deep addiction, like some of us, like, get snatched from the fire, as it were, before we're consumed by it. But I think no matter what, all of us have had that moment, if you're a follower of Jesus, of saying, I'm saved, now what? What do I do now? Like, what's next? You have this radical encounter with Jesus where the light like kind of comes on and you're like, what do I, wow, I'm alive. Now, to be fair, some of us grew up in the church and so it wasn't like a a light that was switched on like this. Maybe it was more of a dimmer light where like the understanding of Jesus and who he is and what he's done for you just kind of like slowly dawned on you. But either way, if it was like a, like a, like a dramatic conversion where you were felt like you were snatched out of death, or it was just kind of like more of a, a natural, actually, it's not natural, supernatural, like awakening to the realities of God, you're going to ask the question, now what? I was a part of the kingdom of darkness at one point, and now I have been brought into the kingdom of light. Life can't be the same anymore. Things are going to be different now. Things need to change. And so for us as Christians, what changed us, if you're a Christian in the room, if you're a disciple, what changed you is that in your moment of deepest need, you looked up and you saw him. Like I looked up and I saw those barnacles and I grabbed hold of them. For you and for me, like we've looked up to Jesus and grabbed hold of him. And he's become the source of life. A source of love, a source of meaning and purpose, and joy, in a world that's like wants to pull us down, and ultimately will drown us. And so, for depending on where you're at, you could be here today, by the way, and you might not have ever looked up, and that's okay. I just want you to know, like Jesus died for you, for your sins. Like he knew that humanity was drowning. Under the weight of sin and the dominion of sin, the rule, like the sovereignty of self, is what I've heard it called. Like we can't bear the weight of having a life that we've created for ourselves, an identity that we give ourselves. We can't bear the weight of being the providers for our family. We can't bear the weight of justifying our existence. And he's like, "I'm taking you out of here. I'm putting you up on a on a perch. Is that a word?" perch, and I'm going to give you a whole new vantage point on your life. The question becomes, now what? And we're going to talk about that today. And I just want to mention, too, as a side note, some of us, like this is not going to connect with you because you've been in kind of church for a long time, and you, you maybe you're like you're somewhat removed from your own story. What I sense as I was preparing this message is that for a lot of us, the the fear is not drowning, it's drifting. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been in a spot where you've gotten pulled out by a rip current? What happens? I've never done it. I'm literally asking. What happens? <laughs> yeah. Um, you get pulled out to the head of a, of a rip current, and so, so it pulls up. You get straight. pulled out. You get pulled straight
0: out. Straight up. out. And it gets churned up. But it's usually deep. And And it's deep. And you can't, and most everyone wants to come straight back in. Most people want to come straight back in. But that's the
1: worst thing you can do. But that's the worst thing you can do. Yep. Uh, I just want the people in the back to hear it. Yeah, yeah. And for the podcast. Yeah, but
0: that's that's the general
1: idea. That's the general idea. Yeah, and people get worn out, and usually they get tired out, and that's when Mm. you start to panic. Yeah. And you panic, you sink. You get worn out, you get tired, you start to panic, you sink, and then... You yeah. can end up drowning. Hope so, saves you. What's that? You hope someone saves you. You hope someone saves you. Right. So here's the point you may, you may be, by the way, again, you might be in a situation where you feel like I'm drowning and I need to be rescued. But more likely than not, you're, the, the, the t- temptation for us as Christians is to drift and drift so far that we then wind up in a situation where we begin to drown. And the drift can happen and it can be because of schedules. Deadlines, priorities that are not Jesus, projects, practice, rinse, repeat. And before you know it, oh my gosh, where am I? I'm so far from where I started. So what I'm talking about today is really important for you too. I'm saved, now what? The scripture has a lot to say about this. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 7 to 11, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. The apostle Peter, he was one of Jesus' closest friends. Remarkable, flawed human being, Peter. If you don't know Peter's story, it's worth Googling later. I'll give you the quick highlights. Uh, He was the first guy that said, like, you're the Messiah. Like, he figured out who Jesus was. And Jesus told him, like, hey, that wasn't you. That was my Father who revealed that to you. So he had this incredible revelation about the identity of the Son of God, on the one hand. On the other hand, in Jesus' most tender moment, he fell asleep and bailed on him. in that order. So he is a mixed bag of humanity, which, in a sense, qualifies him, because if, if you know yourself you know you're a mixed bag too. And if you know me, you know I'm a mixed bag as well. And so let's read. The Apostle Peter, he has these words to to say to a church. Actually, it's not just one church. It's really to churches in a region in the ancient world that were going through difficult times after beginning with Jesus, their walk with him and their relationship with him. They're going through hard times. And it's, it's a tale as old as time. Everybody who follows Jesus, you're going to go through hard times. No matter how wonderful the start is, there's turbulence coming. Did you listen to the instructions that the flight attendants gave you? Did you at least watch the United video where they try to make it funny? And put like unicorns and random things in the background to get your attention? It's kind of like we just, we, we tune out. We tune, we're, the, what I'm about to read is the easiest thing you could ever tune out. But it's exactly what we need to know. Because one day we'll either, we might be drowning and we need this, or we might be drifting and we'll realize, oh no. Mike, what happens to people that get caught in a riptide? Short version. They find themselves in a tr- trouble. In trouble. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Harrelson. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. The end of all things is near. We did a series that I'm quite proud of. Can I say that? I can't say it. It was great. We did a series called Something. It was on the End Times back in 2021. Was it called The End? It was called The End. Where we unpack the end times because I feel like the end times are just like for whatever reason, we've decided that the end times is for us to speculate on timelines and to read the newspaper and to be like, it's happening and to draw a line. It's not. If you really want to know what the end times is about, listen up. Here's your priorities. The end of all things is near. Therefore, engage in endless speculation that leads to fighting but gets a lot of YouTube clicks, baby. (laughs) Be alert and sober reminded for prayer. Prayer. You want to know who really cares about the end times? You want to see the most knowledgeable person on the end times? See who's spending the most time praying. See who's in the, the prayer room regularly. See who's, who's got the, the indents on their floor because they've been praying for so many hours. That's somebody who gets the end times. Prayer. Verse eight. Above all, maintain constant love for one another. Prayer and love. Not speculation and fighting over timelines. Unity in prayer and relationships marked by love. Love by concern for each other, by grace. Love covers a multitude of sins. And then this, this one, this is hard. This is hard. As it's almost like Peter's saying, okay, what does that look like? Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Uh, get into it. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others. So prayer... Love, hospitality, empowered service. These are the priorities at the end times for the church. Just as each one of you received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Verse 11, if anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anybody serves, let it be from the strength that God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. This is how we make much of Jesus in the end times. This is what it it looks like to be saved and then transition into a life of fruitfulness with other people. It results in glory and power, being Jesus's forever and ever. Amen. So here's my three quick points. I'm saved. We're saved. Now what? What do faithful Christian communities do together? I'm just going to focus on three things. Prayer, love, and service. Prayer, love, and service. So let's talk about prayer. 1 Peter 4.7 says, The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Prayer is the language of relationship with God. You want to write that down. Prayer is the language of relationship with God. Now, imagine if you have a spouse, but you never share your heart with them or ask what's on theirs. Or a friend, and you never tell them what you're thinking or ask them, hey, what are you thinking? And not like, what are you thinking, you know, but just like a a genuine inquiry, like what's on your mind? How about a business partner, but you never ask them for their input or help or offer them yours? I think we would all say, hey, something's not quite right there. There's a disconnect of some kind. I think as I was chewing on this, it's sort of like... Yes, that is a Stanley. (laughs) I gave in. I think we'd say, hey, there's a disconnect here. There's a disconnect here. It seems like with your business partner, you share attributes. You're you're under the same umbrella as a corporation. You have the same company name. You have the same signature block. You have a similar you have the same address. You have the same employer. You share attributes, but you're in no way attuned to each other. Prayer is the language of relationship with God. When we pray, we become attuned to the heart of God for his people, including yours, his heart heart for you. God didn't just save us so that we could share attributes. He didn't save us so that we could check off Christian when the census comes around every 10 years, or so that we can then identify as Christian and we can share that in common. He saved us so that we could be attuned to his heart. I am Puerto Rican, if you didn't know, you know that now. The language of my people is technically Spanglish. (laughs) We were a Spanish colony first that was then handed off to America, which is funny, like a baton or like a, um, what was it that quarterbacks do when they, they pitch it to their running back? Does that still happen in football? Is there still a running element to football? I don't know. It's been a while. But we were tossed into American hands. And so here we are, Spanish and English, Spanglish. Yeah, when I hear a Puerto Rican talking, something happens to me. It's like we sync up. There's culture, culture. There's experience, there's history. Maybe you've had this experience if you've been abroad and you heard a Californian talking. You're in the, at the Louvre. You're like, oh, yeah. yeah, where do you, do they have burritos here? Have breakfast burritos? Like, no, nah, man, they have Nutella crepes, It's is pears. Put a little banana on it's great. Cool, see you later, bro. Right? It just syncs us up and it tunes us. Did you also almost drown off the coast of Laguna? Yeah, it it kind of, it syncs us up. When I hear somebody say, Mami, necesito un jacket. <laughs> or, Papi, no el sweating. Or, quiero un belgen. I know what they're saying. I want a burger. Where's my jacket? I think I'm going to wear a sweater. Right? <laughs> It syncs us up, Spanglish. It's our, it's our language, and it carries so much with it. Prayer is the language of relationship with God. It syncs you up with him, and not just to him, but to other people who belong to him. Communication, verbalization, expression, asking, listening, receiving commands, making requests. This is relationship. Prayer is the the language of relationship with God. Man, do you want to know God? Do you want to be attuned to his heart for his people and for you? If it's not a priority, a burning priority in your heart, it's good to ask the question, what gives? Have I drifted if you're a Christian? If you're not one, man, I just want you to know, like, Jesus is so ready to rescue you. He is so ready to rescue you. And it's not just a, tra- it's not fire insurance. It's not like, hey, I'm here so that you don't have to f- burn in eternity, okay? There's so much more. Language has to do with an exchange or it's a relational thing. We're saved from alienation from God to a whole new way of being engaged to and connected to him that starts now, in the present. And the scriptures lead us and guide us so that we know what he's like, and then God jumps off the page. He saved you to know him, not merely to know about him. Tom mentioned this earlier. So, man, practical takeaway get with other Christians and learn to pray. This is a part of what it means when you when we ask the question, "I'm saved. Now what?" Learn the language. Learn the language, and I'm not talking about Christianese. How you doing? Blast! You know, not talking about that. It's like, hey, chill, chill man. Can you just give me a, an honest answer? You know, can we put up the slide? The prayer one? Yeah, that's good. Not that one. (laughs) The one that has the different kinds of prayer? That's it. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to go through this real quick because I'm low on time. But I just need you to see this. Like, prayer is robust. This language is robust. When you start studying languages, you see, like, language is dynamic. It moves, it changes, it shifts. Like there's so much happening and we're communicating in so many ways. And so when we talk about prayer, it's rich, it's multifaceted and it involves things like verbal expressions of joy and admiration, what he's like. Uh, prayer can be like a very joy-filled, like happy experience. Man, if you ever get into a room with people where you just start thinking about how do we thank God for all he's done for us? It's been some of the most encouraging times in my entire life with an open Bible and other Christians, and we're just thanking God for what he's done and what he's like. Because we realize like, oh my gosh, I was drowning or drifting, and you rescued me out of the water, and you pulled me back. Sometimes it looks like confession, practicing accountability, admitting what he said to us about our sins. We were in New York City last weekend. You ever been in an environment where there's like 600 people openly confessing their sin? It gets wild. We, did, we were there for that. People out loud confessing things like all kinds of stuff. Fear, anxiety, worry. They weren't bringing, they weren't bringing their, their strength. They were acknowledging their weakness. This is just wild. Never had so much trouble with a mic before. It was people acknowledging their need. Because I don't know if you guys know this, but if you're drowning or drifting, you know what you need to say? Help! Help! Confession, intercession, appealing on behalf of others for their needs. I don't know if you know this, but every single week, there's a group of men and women that get together, I think in that room, to pray for this gathering. There's people that get together in a little office space in Temecula to pray for you, to pray for your children, to pray for these communities that we're a part of, to pray for God to move. This is happening all the time. So practical takeaway, get with other Christians and learn to pray. In the prayer room, I can't think of a better environment to do that than the prayer room. Because here's what's interesting about languages. How do you learn them? Immersion. It's not a rhetorical question. You just have to hear. You just have to listen and try it. So don't be surprised if it's a little awkward at first. I don't know if you've ever heard me speak French before. Awkward. (laughs) Why? Well, it's a long story. I'm out of practice. I'm rusty. Okay? I need to keep moving. I need to keep moving. All right, so prayer, that's the first thing. If you're curious about what it looks like, I'm saved, now what? We're calling to a life of prayer. Second thing, love, and we're gonna move quickly. Love. Love. So Peter says some fascinating stuff here. He says, above all, maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. And then in the next breath, he says, be hospitable to one another without complaining. Now, without getting into all the background, this was a time in the the life and the history of the church where there was significant oppression against Christians. If you were a Christian, there was a good chance that you were experiencing some level of loss of honor, which was a big deal in that culture. Uh, Because you were outwardly associated with not with the pagan gods of the day but with Jesus, people thought you were nuts and that you were dangerous. So, there was a lot of suffering, a lot of pain, a lot of hardship and sorrow, maybe in ways that we don't fully know and understand here today, but that's okay, because there's something that we can't understand. It's in verse number nine, complaining. We get that one. It's not just, it's me. This is, can we just be honest? We get this. To welcome someone else into our lives without complaining, to invite somebody into our hearts and into our homes without complaining eventually feels impossible because it might start great, but then eventually this happens, right? Eventually sometimes people overstay their welcome, and so that's a reality. And Peter knows this, and he knows it, and he gets it. And so when he talks about love, I love that he says be hospitable because it makes it really tangible and practical. Uh, It's not a feeling, although love I think does certainly touch us at that level. But what he says is open up your homes, open up your hearts, even when you don't want to or feel like it or it's uncomfortable. This has massive implications, not least of which it's because that Commandment right there to practice hospitality means that you and I have a space at the table. Have you ever considered the fact that in order for you to experience Christian community, somebody had to sacrificially open up their table to you? I'll never forget, for me personally, back in 2009. There was a group of guys. I was attending a, a big church in San Diego, and there's this group of guys that saw me. I was new. I didn't know anybody. They they saw that God was doing something in my life, and so one day, one of them hands me a letter, which I open later, and it's an invitation to be a part of this kind of discipleship group. And this group would get together, as it turned out, for many years, just investing in each other's lives. Practicing, to some degree, what, what we do in gospel communities. Not exactly the same thing, but the same kind of like, care and love and prayer and service that we want to have as part of our gospel communities. Somebody had to open a seat for me. Somebody had to open a seat for me at the table. And so here's the second point. I'm going to move fast. Love is an open seat at the table of God. Love is an open seat at the table of God. Is there room for others at your table? Now, think about this uh, communally. Certainly, I think there's, there's dimensions of this that might be uh, very, very applicable to our individual homes, but I want you to think in terms of community. Uh, Peter's writing to Christians, and he's, I, I believe he's thinking primarily of being hospitable to other Christians, too. I'm sure that has implications for those who are not yet Christians, but I want you to imagine for a moment that there's Christians who, for various reasons, maybe have, are coming through. They're passing through or they're staying, and he's saying, like, open up your homes and hearts to them. Now, for us, this might be a little bit different. We have a whole hospitality industry. We have hotels, right? So this might look, this might look a little bit different in our time and space, but ultimately, what will not change is this reality that love includes, involves opening up a seat for other people at your table. So for gospel communities, for example, when gospel communities, which are groups of men and women that are intentionally following Jesus together, gospel communities are going to have opportunities to open up their table to new people. That is a critical component that we can't lose because Peter tells us to be hospitable to each other without complaining. So it's not just about us. There's something far bigger happening in the economy of God that might not be the best way to put it, in the kingdom that requires room and space for other people. It just does. Is that uncomfortable? Oh yeah. It means that Christian community is going to be more dynamic and uncomfortable than you can ever imagine if we follow Jesus, if we follow Jesus according to Peter's instruction here. Without complaining, what does that assume? You're not always going to like it. Wild, right? The Bible. Who knew? Is there room for others at your table? Gospel communities, I'm going to talk to you for a second. Is there room for others at your table? there's going to be men and women who come to our community that God entrusts to us. Not because we're better or just because we're here. People that, men and and women that God entrusts to us and he's, he's going to tell us, open up your table to them. It's going to be uncomfortable. Open it up. You may get hurt. Open it up. It may not feel as safe to you. Open it up. Why? Why would we do that? Why would we do that? Because every single one of the seats at God's table, which is purchased by the blood of Jesus. There's a little name, and it's got a little, it's written in blood. Gosh, that's, you know what I mean. And there are, there are people that Jesus, the shepherd, is still bringing in. There's more sheep that he's bringing in. And so, I want to, on the one hand, commend you as a church, because we're, we're doing it. We've, we've gone from one gospel community to several gospel communities. Gospel communities have opened up and welcomed people in, and it's led to, it's been really beautiful and really challenging at times. But here's the point, love is the open seat at the table of God, because Jesus purchased it for them, just as he purchased your seat for you. Okay, last thing, service. This is my third point, and we're almost done here. Service. Okay, so Peter talks about, if he says, just as each one of you has received a gift, use it to serve other people, right? serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. And then he talks about speaking gifts and serving gifts. And the commentators note that this kind of, it, it sort of has that vibe that, that's in Acts, where they had, uh, they appointed deacons to take care of a problem that they were having with some food distribution, caring for widows. And then there was also the apostles who were tending to the ministry of the word. So speaking, and serving; those gifts aren't disconnected necessarily. I think you're going to have, you're going to see both operating sometimes, and even the same person. But the point is, God has given you a gift. If you're a Christian, you have a gift. It'll either be like a, it'll tend to fall into one of these two categories: speaking and service. And He's given it to you as a steward. Okay, what does that mean? What does it mean to be a steward? It means that He's entrusted it to you to use it. In accordance with his will and his plans. So, Peter doesn't mention this. He he doesn't say this, but I'm I'm gonna add this here. Just like hospitality is not necessarily comfortable and you may not always like it, sometimes service is gonna be not so comfortable and you may not always like it. Here's what I mean. Sometimes you're going to wind up with a mic in your hands, and you're not going to want to say anything. And this has nothing to do with Brandon earlier, because he did great. It's just more like a, God may actually call you up on this stage or in the front of your gospel community to give a testimony about his goodness to you, to encourage somebody else. Are you going to feel nerves? You might. Are you going to feel kind of like, I don't want to say something stupid? Probably. I don't know if you know that, but that's, that is the soundtrack of my heart. You're going to say something stupid. That's what's always on in the background. And sometimes it's just like, shh. Okay? Sometimes God's going to call you to do things that are outside of your comfort zone. But the good news here isn't that you're going to be comfortable. It's that you're going to be empowered. Listen to these words. To the one who speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. To the one who serves, let it be from the strength that God provides. God gives you what you need to serve. So, I want to keep this brief. Service. Service, in one sense, is the gospel in action. Service, in one sense, is the gospel in action. Jesus, when he came, you see him... Serving and speaking. You see him teaching. One of the things he does over and over again is he gets a crowd and he starts telling them stories. And they're like, oh, that's a curious story. Some of them love it, some of them hate it, some of them are just confused. But either way, he's instructing, he's teaching, he's using his words to help people flesh out their mental picture of who God is and what he's like. And then sometimes he's just practically serving, right? He's, he's providing bread when there isn't bread. Uh, sometimes he's providing wine when there isn't wine. Sometimes he's taking a towel and wrapping it around his waist to do the most menial task imaginable at that time, which was to wash feet. I don't know the last time you got down real close to a toilet bowl and scrubbed it, there's always interesting things, right, that you find. you like, I don't remember that. <laughs> but usually when I do it, it's kind of like, Ugh. you know, like, it's, it's like that. It's mean, it's, Ugh. nobody, I don't want to do that. I don't like that. It's not comfortable. I wear gloves when I do it. I think sometimes we forget that Jesus came as a servant and that he served us. And so when we lose a vital connection to the service that Jesus has given us, sometimes we will complain about serving or our hearts will become, we won't have that kind of gratitude. Sometimes we'll just grumble or we'll groan. I'm not saying that service is always going to be your favorite thing. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is sometimes if we lose sight of Jesus, we kind of lose, we start to drift. Here's, here's what I want to say about service our church is incredibly service oriented. Uh, I don't know if you know this. You do know this because you, pretty much all of you serve. It takes a lot of people to put on this gathering, a lot of people. Some of you have to show up early to help set up. Some of you show up early to get ready, to use your gifts to serve us and to minister to God. Some of you get here early to help with the kids. There's always, some of you are here early and and you're in the front lines of welcoming people into our community. You guys, we have a service-oriented community. I don't really need to remind you so much to serve as to say, like, well done. You're doing this. You're doing this. There might be some who, for a variety of reasons, maybe service hasn't been a part of this season of life for you, and maybe today God's going to be like, it's time to get back in the game. But I also think there's this other group of people in the room today where you need to be served. I'm going to call the band up. I'm gonna call up the ministry team up. Some of you need to be served today. What do I mean by that? You might be here and you might feel like I'm drowning. How did he know? I don't. But you might be here and you're like I'm drowning under the weight of life's expectations, under the weight of suffering under the weight of sorrow, under the weight of bad news medically, under the weight of a relationship that isn't getting better, maybe you're here and you feel like you're drowning. Or maybe you're here and as, as we're talking, it's like, oh my gosh, I don't remember the last time I prayed. Uh, I don't know that I want to open up my heart and home to other people. I, I kind of like things the way that they are. Maybe you're here and you're like, service has become a chore to me. Service has become something that I, I just endure. It. Man, like it's possible that you could be here and you're drowning or you could be here and you're simply drifting at a heart level. And I just want to encourage you today, like wherever you're at, Jesus is here for you. I want to invite you to stand up. Jesus is on the throne. Like When he died, he broke the power of sin. And he also took on the penalty of sin for you. You might be here and you're drowning because you need forgiveness and you've never received it. Maybe it's guilt that's drowning you. Maybe it's shame for things that have happened to you or things that you've done. I just want you to know, like, Jesus can rescue you today. All you have to do is ask. Uh, Maybe you're here, and you're like, man, this sounds great. Faithful communities pray, love, and serve, but I don't have a space. I want you to know that we're opening up an intro to gospel community for you. And the sign-ups are live now. I wanted to mention this earlier in the message, but I'm getting to it now. Uh, You can go in the back and sign up. If you want to be a part of a community that's growing in prayer and love and service and because of what Jesus has done, the Intro to Gospel Community is your next step. I know some of you have been waiting patiently for that. It's open. You can go on our website, Intro to Gospel Communities, and sign up right there. We'll be launching in March. That's your next step. Brothers of you, you need to hear well done. You're doing it. Your hunger and humility is leading you to experience God, maybe in ways you haven't in a long time. And this is your opportunity to praise God, to use your voice to honor Him and to thank Him. So I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to call Tom up so we can set up a response time. Father, thank you God we thank you for your son we thank you that he was the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light I thank you that he's the one who forgives us so that we can forgive each other I I thank you that he was the one who was patient with us so that we can be patient with each other I thank you that he's the one who served us humbly so that we might serve one another I thank you that he's the one who exemplified the very love and hospitality that's demanded here in this text to us. By inviting us, especially those of us who are Gentiles, we're not a part of the, the Jewish tradition, of the Jewish faith, like he's invited us. What a privilege and a treasure that is, that we have a seat at a table that we don't belong in, but that Jesus has decided to include us in. Thank you, Father for sending your son, and I pray that he would refresh our hearts this morning, even now as we respond. Thank you, Father. In your name we pray, amen.
0: Profound, JB, thank you. Um, <clears throat> I just have a couple things, and I would normally save this for like a benediction at the end. But I, I really feel like God has something for, for many of us in the room. And I didn't give you guys this passage, but um, Mike, can you grab Ephesians chapter 4, 15 and 16, if you can? If you guys can't, I can read it on my Bible here, but I want you guys to see these words. Herrick just prayed something that's vital for us to understand. I love his points. You get saved. Now what? Right, God invite, God intervenes in your life, and He invites you into something. And I just feel like there's, I feel like there's some of us that you want to say yes to the invitation, but you're not walking in it, and you're missing out on your purpose in life. And you feel stuck. You feel all the things that you, you feel like you're drifting. You feel like maybe you're drowning, but you feel like this, like there's ceiling on your potential, your purpose. Like we're not the point of the Bible, like God is, but He invites us to step into our purpose in life. And Eric's points, um, you get saved now, uh, now you, a life that's, that's, that's uh, oriented around prayer, a life that's oriented around love, or a life that's oriented around service. Like, guys, we have to understand something. We have to understand that Jesus has done and is doing these three things for each one of us without ceasing. The Bible says he lives to make intercession for you. Do you realize there's a man in the heavens right now praying for you. His name is Jesus. And he's conquered sin and conquered death on your behalf. Like Jesus is praying for you. You. Not just the church, although he is. He's praying for you. Jesus, you know he loves you, right? For God so loved the world he gave his only son. He loves you. And he's, he has served you with his perfect life in your place, with his death in your place. And he is serving you. Continually. So he's inviting you to, 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 to join him in what and in, in the life, the, the fullness of humanity that he modeled for us. But do you guys okay, cool. Check this out. But speaking, I couldn't get this passage out of my mind this morning, and then I couldn't get it out of my mind as Herrick's preaching, because it's like there's so much correlation here. But speaking the truth in love let us, who's the us there? What? The church. people of God. You're not, the church is not an event, right? We talk about this all the time. The church is the family of God. You're not at church. You're with the church. Let us, let's just egotistically, I guess, put Restored Temecula and us there. Let Restored Temecula grow, that's a big word, in every way into him who is the head. That's He's using body language here. Christ, he's the head of the church. From him, from Jesus, the whole body Fitted and knit together. Let me ask you some. Are you knit together with folks? I'm not asking if you go to church. Herrick's message, if anything, was a full on assault of like limiting, limiting discipleship to going to church. It's important we gather to offer God worship, right? To encourage each other, to encounter his presence. All oh, that's great. I'm not anti this. This is wonderful. It's beautiful. Knitted together. By every supporting ligament, promotes the growth, there's that big word again, of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. Listen to me, your life is way more valuable than you believe it is sometimes. And specifically, one of the reasons it's so valuable is because the implications that your godly life has on other people. And if you're limiting your discipleship to maybe just kind of going through the motions, you're not knit together with brothers and sisters in Christ to where your gifts spill out on them. They encounter the gifts of God in you and through you, they encounter His Spirit through you, and you receive God's Spirit and love and service and prayer through them. You're seriously lacking. Jesus died for way more than comfortable, encouraging messages on Sundays. I want you to understand something. God desires to partner with you and I to have significant impact on the lives of other people. And the reason I say that is that Jesus showed us the way, His life of prayer, of love, and of service has significantly impacted those who receive that love, that prayer, that service. And now we walk in the way of Jesus and the ripple effects. Are you having a significant impact on the life of the people around you? I don't care how old you are. 10 years old, 90 years old. You matter in the kingdom because you matter to God. Are you knit together with other people? Those of you in gospel community, you're doing it. It's beautiful, it's hard, but you're doing it. If you're not in gospel community, just sign up. Okay? I want us to respond. We have about 10, 10 or so minutes left before I'll close us. I want us to respond. So maybe you need to do some hard work right now. Like, Jesus, I I want to yield every part of my life to you. I want to yield to your Lordship. I do, I believe you know best, but sometimes I believe the life that I know best, and it's more comfortable. Dude, we have an opportunity to lay that at the feet of Jesus, receive his forgiveness, receive more of his empowering spirit to live the life that Herod just outlined for us. It's the, it's the, it's the purpose for your life, friend. The question isn't, is it, do you have a purpose? The question is, are you going to walk into it? You're going to step into it with confidence and faith, knowing that the spirit of God that dwells within you is empowering you to do so. So I'm going to just quickly pray over this, like really quick. And then I want us to respond. Two types of people, right? Priests and patients. Priests offering God offerings of worship and devotion and praise. The band's going to lead us in that. And maybe you just need some help. Maybe you need the the, the good physician to care for you. Maybe you're just in in a patient place where you need, you're in the hospital, but you need some help. These trusted men and women would love to pray over you, okay? You can come up at any time. You can sit. You can stand. You can raise your hands. You can sing. Give God praise and offer yourself as a patient to the hands of the physician in heaven who wants to help you and guide you and heal you, okay? Here's my prayer. Holy Spirit, for those that yield themselves to you in this room, would you help us? Would you give us faith to follow you? Even, in, in, even right now, some of us are like, should I go forward, should I not? I pray you'd help us to yield to you receive your help, receive your grace, receive your guidance, and let that just skyrocket, like make it, make it really, um, I pray that the result of that would be a deep, profound joy and pleasure of walking in step with you, Jesus.
1: Help us, we pray. Amen.